Um, so again, welcome to the Stock Exchange Wednesday. So again, talking about family. So I guess my question would be, who can remember their childhood like very vividly? Rosina, step to the stage. Come on. I remember pretty much of my childhood. Um, probably the youngest age I remember is four or five. Really? What was yeah. the best part of your childhood? Family as a whole. What, what did you remember? What do I remember at the youngest age I remember? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, actually, I'm four years older than my sister, so that's when my sister was born. <sighs> I remember that I remember that and I remember getting my tonsils removed. <laughs> so that was the best part of your childhood? I won't say it was the best part, but those are, that's what I remember about that at that age. At that particular age. What yeah, about at you, that Steph? Particular age. Um, I, the best part of me, the best part I remember growing up is, um, my grandparents raised me, um, my mom divorced young. And so my, um, grandparents raised me and it was just all about family, like family ate together, family worked together. I was out in a tobacco field with my grandfather on, you know, his tobacco tractor. Field. What was this? This is in Calvert County, oh, Calvert wow. County, Maryland. That's right. That's yeah. Right. That's so right. everything. And then like my father's parents, they live like not too far from my mom's parents. Mm -hmm. And so I would be between my grandparents. So literally my grandparents raised me and every summer I would be down my grandparents. They just mean so much. I think I, that's where they've instilled, they instilled a lot of hard work. Like they went to work every day. They, they, we went to church every week. Like mm -hmm. I get a lot of, I think, they definitely helped me to be who I am today. And I still carry that into like our household now as far as our kids and working and getting up and showing consistency and dedication and, you know, just just trying. You know, it's crazy when you say that because I remember getting confirmed, uh, have my confirmation in church. My mother used, when she didn't go, she made me walk to church every Sunday. It didn't matter, I had to go. Um, my grandmother raised me when I was a youngster and so I would spend most of my time in Brooklyn. And, you know, when I came to Queens, that's when the world was over. Like, it was like, wow. Because see, in Brooklyn, if you've ever been, like you're, you're in Maryland, so you already know if you've been in the, Maryland reminds me of Brooklyn if you go into DC, okay? <laughs> so if you look at all the stone, the brick houses, the, um, not brick houses, but you know what I mean, the brick, what do they mm -hmm. call it? The um, brownstones, there you mm -hmm. go, brownstones, yeah. right? So in Brooklyn, you wasn't playing in the streets. At least you wasn't supposed to be playing in the streets and you definitely wasn't hanging on the corner because I had this gang that lived around the corner from me called the Hellcats. And since it was my neighborhood, I was good, but my mother would whip me if she found me on the corner. So, you know, back in the days, they had this thing called pick a switch. <laughs> yeah, right. So the parent, right. I got beat with the switch, the extension cord, the belt buckle with the rosy covers, colors, you know, whatever, because it was hippies, that type of mode going, going back in the days. And what I can remember most about my childhood besides all of that stuff was music. Like music was incredible. Like, you know, and, and it's funny because I tied it into Marvin Gaye. Like what year do you know? First of all, we're, we're some, I'm 53, so it's a little different. So I wouldn't expect you really to remember the year Marvin Gaye wrote what's going on, but it was in the seventies, right? 71 to be exact. So, at that time, I don't remember that much, but I do remember a lot. I remember getting run over by a bike uh, and my uncle, oh, no doubt. I was, I was a little kid, I ran into the street, I got ran over, I still got the scar on my arm, right? And my uncle ran after the guy, got the guy, beat the guy up. Oh my god! He tried to run away. And, 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 but that was part of my whole family. My whole family was a bunch of people like that. And, you know, so I remember those times. And, you know, in the 70s, at the time, I think Nixon was president, right? So things were going crazy politically, because I don't know if you remember, or are you familiar with Watergate? Mm -hmm. Okay, so Watergate was going on, Nixon resigned because of um, corruption and, and obstruction of justice and stuff like that. So, and, and he's the one that removed the, the uh, gold standard. So you're talking about gold, like gold, if you like, I'm not sure. Does anyone know what the gold standard was or, or, or anything? Is anyone else familiar with that? Anyone can step in. 
How about you, Mike or Ra? Nah, I'm not sure. Okay, so. Yeah, I'm not sure, but I heard of it. Okay, so here's the deal. The gold standard meant that the dollar was backed by gold. So you could actually go to the treasury and trade your dollar bills in for gold. Crazy, right? And then when Nixon abolished the gold standard, that's when the dollar became a fiat currency, right? So, you know, backed up by nothing, pretty much. That's what it, that's what it all comes down to. Interest rates in the early 70s was in the mid sevens. And then towards 73, it went up to 9% towards 1979 and went up to about 11%. So, you know, that's inflation at this point. And, you know, the Vietnam War was going on and they were having these big protests. As a matter of fact, they had a half a million people show up at the Capitol, which was the largest protest in history for the anti-war against Vietnam. And Vietnam ended um, in 1973. The Dow was trading at about 1,000 points. You know, that's it. Like, if you think about where the Dow is now, 28,000, 1,000 points. That's why I always tell people, don't worry about where stocks are because there's never been a time in history where stocks, if they were good companies, they stayed the same over time, over decades. So the funniest part is Nixon resigns. And at this time, my mother, right, she's working for this company called Mr. Sm Mr. Smith's Pies. I don't know if anyone remembers that company, but went out of business a long time ago. But that's back when we used to eat Wonder Bread. So if I'm dating myself, no one remembers Wonder Bread? Yeah, okay, just make it short, right? <laughs> and then my dad worked for New York City Transit. So he was a motorman. So, you know, I remember the 70s as being, I don't, you know, I was a kid, but I just remember family being the biggest thing going. I would go visit my cousins, like Rosina was saying, I would go visit my cousins and I would hang out with them and everything was good, right? Kids, I think at that time were allowed to be kids. So I got a question. What do you think? Um, do you think the kids have the same chance at the same childhood that we had or no? No. Why? Um, everything's technology driven. Um, we had the lap of luxury where we were more... Um, I guess we kind of mingled with each other more versus having um, headphones on, playing PlayStation, and that's our way of communicating. Like, you knew which house was the spot because all the bikes were outside on the porch <laughs> and, you know, like everybody was at that one person's house. But that's what we did. We took the time out to actually sit up there and speak to people. Like if you had to say something to somebody, you're gonna pick up a phone. It was no texting. We didn't have texting yeah, back no then. Texting. So, but even as kids, they don't have, they can't, they, well, they do text because they got cell phones because we give them, we give them cell phones. Hey, hey mama, we give them <laughs> cell phones and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I, I get it. We, but we had Atari, we had Nintendo. We had right? gaming systems, but we didn't lose our way. Like, it's, it's a lot that I feel like go into it because it's just different. Like me and my brother sitting there playing the very first PlayStation that came out and what we did and how we had people come over and things of that nature versus now kids are like stuck at home, literally just on the gaming system. They'll prefer to sit there and play the game sometimes rather than going out and being with their friends. That's my viewpoint. That's what I see um, very, very often. Like, mm -hmm. They just well, I mean, kids didn't, like, kids don't communicate. Yeah, you're right. They don't communicate the way that, you know, we communicated when we we're younger. And I think, you know, it gets away from us because to be honest with you, like I have this discussion with my wife, we control what they do. They don't control what we do. We're, we're the adults, right? So if we want them to go play in the street with the other kids, we can do that. We can have them go play basketball or whatever the case is. I think a lot of time the TV monitors our children a little too much or the game monitors because we're so busy. And this is where I'm going with life that any distraction is a great interaction so we can kind of have some peace to do what we need to do. And I don't think that makes sense for where we are and where we're going right now. 
You understand? So, all right. So now let's jump to the 80s. The 80s comes in. My mother gets separated. Here you go. My mother gets separated from, you know, my dad. Now I'm, I'm a, I go from a two family, a two income household to a one income household. Now this is the first time that I ever realized money was the focus. So at this point in time, I'm trying to, you know, I'm a kid. So, but, but I know that I don't have enough money to get anything at school for lunch. You know, I remember getting a bus pass and, and taking someone else's bus pass and using that. And you know how you just get on the bus, you kind of show it quick and you keep it, keep it moving with the other kids. And, you know, that's what I had to do, right? So when I think about the 80s, it's, it's a lot because um, I think that's where we lost our families. And there's a couple of reasons why. Um, hold on, let me let somebody in. The, and and I'll, run, I'll run it to you this way. So 80s, if you know anything about the 80s, Reagan was the president right so it was reaganomics does anyone know what reaganomics was or young or old enough to understand that hey tanya i'm an 80s girl i'll be 53 in about two weeks okay so you right there with me so you remember reaganomics then oh yeah definitely um i i think reaganomics is when i'm not sure i can't remember if he's inflation but i know the economy changed um definitely with reagan i just can't remember i'm gonna give it to you Oh, I got it. See, our parents, we like the, okay, so the average income was low. And I'm gonna get to that in a second. But Mm -hmm. our parents were struggling to make ends meet. In certain cases, they were fighting for civil rights. Mm -hmm. There were so many things going on in the 80s that was just bonkers. So when I think about it, Reaganomics, his, he believed in supply side economics. Supply-side economics means government was interfering with lives, small government. So he cut a lot of the programs. Well, the problem with the cutting of the programs, who normally does the programs benefit? The inner city. Inner city kids. Right? So, but he said, let's give, let's tax them less. So that's supply-side economics. So lower taxes meant that you and I paid less taxes, but the rich got richer. Mm-hmm. Right? So then... The thing that really, and that didn't, that didn't hurt us at all, really. You know, it just, the thing that hurt us was his most famous act ever. It was the Anti-Drug Act of 1986. And it was the, you know, War on Drugs campaign. That was the thing that separated families. Because what would happen is, if you got knocked up for a first offense, you would go and you would get out on supervised release, right? But with the War on Drugs, it made it a mandatory sentencing, right? So now you got people who committed one minor offense going away for time. So what happened to the family, right? Yeah. You know, and so now, now we only got one income instead of two. Now the struggle is really real because in the eighties, let me ask you a question. Do you remember mom working as much or dad working as much? My my dad worked more. And and mom did what? Um my mom she was a stay-home mom for a while. I'm just trying to remember. Yeah, she was at home for a while at this point. She became a nurse, but she was at home. But but, but in the 80s yeah. were most parents working? I mean, most moms working in the 80s? Yeah. I, I don't really yes, think absolutely. So. Yeah. What 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 who said that? Rashawn, yeah, my mom was working, my dad wasn't. Okay, but one was home, but but it was it was one income that was making it happen back in the eighties. Right. It, yep. it yeah. wasn't like, you know, and and you'll be shocked to know what the average income was, and I'll get there in a second. But that whole dynamic of because if you looked at when it comes down to blacks and browns going to jail, fifteen hundred per one hundred thousand are in prison in the black community. 821 with the Spanish community per 100,000, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that drug, you know, war on drugs really hurt a lot of families. And I think that's where you started to see the separation because now women had to step up. Mm-hmm. They really had to step up, 
you know, it was like, okay, forced, if they did, if they wasn't about independence at that point, they were going to be about independence because they actually had to do it. So the 80s, let's go through the 80s. 80s interest rates was 13.3%. I remember um, like even in the early 90s, interest rates were like 17% if you went to go buy a car, right? Um, there were no, there were no cell phones really, like what they weren't as prevalent you know, if they if they did, it sound like looked like you was carrying a, carrying a microwave around, but you um the beepers were just all over the place in the '80s, right? And if you had a beeper, who who were you? Absolutely, So Apple computers went public in December in December of 1980, and it went public at twenty two dollars a share, right? You had the Sony Walkman. That was popular in the eight. Remember that? I what color was your Sony Walkman? Mine was red. Mine was yellow. My sister had the yellow one. I had the red one. Right? And then you had CDs. Mm -hmm. For you kids that don't know. I know you Andrew, I know you're 33. <laughs> you don't know about the CDs. I'm sorry. So, oh, I got plenty. <laughs> I'm messing with I you. I still got my CDs. So, but you had the CDs, but the biggest thing, you know, is that no one really had a clue how disconnected the community was about to become, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then technology was blowing up. And, you know, what, let me ask you a question. What was the year that you got your first laptop? Ooh. Laptop or personal computer? Per, well, personal computer, lap, well, I want to say laptop. First and personal computer second. Can you remember? Back on my laptop, maybe 2003. I got mine in 2002. Yeah. Right? Mine was after. But think about it. Wasn't no laptops in the 80s? Mm -mm. None. It was barely any in the 90s. If you, if you really think about it, because we wasn't really getting on the internet. Typewriters. Oh, yeah. The, the, the brothers typewriter. <laughs> exactly right. My mother knew how to type 90 words per minute. So guess what the average wage was in the 80s? What was it? 335? I'm trying to remember when I was working. 335 an hour. Minimum wage. I think it was about 315. Yeah, it wasn't 335 minimum wage back then. But what, what, yeah, so if it was, who? 335. Well, that's crazy. I remember. I, I remember. Something like that. Yeah, I got. I, I remember <laughs> I worked for UPS and I was making five dollars an hour. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's five dollars. Two hundred dollars a week. Wage was five something. So, but but I bring all of that to say we weren't really making any money. We weren't we weren't paying attention to Apple and Microsoft. You know, if you think about the eighties, you know, you got the average income was twelve thousand five hundred and thirteen in the early eighties to twenty thousand dollars from nineteen eighty to nineteen eighty nine. That's no money. Today it's definitely no money, right? But then again, you could buy a house for less than a hundred grand, something like forty, fifty, or sixty thousand dollars, right? So it was it was comparable to what was happening with the dollar at the time. I remember because I was in high school. I graduated high school in eighty four, and I was a latch a latch key was a latch kid key kid a latch key kid. Yeah, that's what they call it, right? <laughs> right. So I had to go pick up my brother from the daycare center on the on the expired bus pass, get all the way up to get to you know what I had to go to Rochdale, Queens, and then come back with him. And if we didn't have the, we can't get on the bus. We had to walk all the way back. And my mother would come home, and we have to have he'd be doing his homework, and all these things would be happening. And it was funny because we was living in a house that we could no longer afford because my dad wasn't there. Right. And I didn't really realize it then because we were still close with the family at that point. But in the 80s, the country slipped into a deep recession. The market crashed in 1987. So the market dropped 500 points in one day, which was the biggest single point drop in the history. Bigger than what we saw recently, because the Dow wasn't trading is nothing like 800 points. So, you know, when you, when you see that, you're like, wow. So, you know, people jumping out the window for this stuff. 
But when you think about the finances and you think about us not knowing what was going on, I remember my mother just right? And I remembered, and that was the first time I realized that money granted you access, right? What, 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 what age did that become a realization for you guys? Go ahead, T. Um, I have family in, uh, that, used to, that were wealthy um, that lived in Patterson, New Jersey. So they would send for me and my sister every summer after my parents separated. And so that's when I realized, wow, money, because they were very wealthy. They were friends like with the Cosbys and stuff like that. Oh, wow. And we used to stay on their yacht, like that kind of money. And they would show us all these wealthy houses on City. I don't know if it was City Island. It's another, it's another island we used to go mm -hmm. to. But anyway, long story short, that's when I realized, wow, this is what money is. I saw his money clip one day and I was like, <laughs> but they, he worked hard and uh, she used to work as a teenager for the Rockefellers, believe it or not. Wow. We talking old school. Yeah. She's in her 80s now, but um, they worked hard. Um, his name was Jim Dowdy. I don't know if his, he's from Harlem, but uh, he was friends with a guy from uh, American Gangster. They, they grew up together. Mm. I forgot wow. his name. I can't remember the character. You got some history. Yeah, especially in New York. stories to tell. Yeah, but anyway, that's when I found out about money because they had cars, they had, you know, lots of cars, different places. They had a house in St. Thomas. And so anyway, we got a chance to see a little bit of stuff. It's funny because when I think of the 80s, and some of you guys might be right there with me, what was the famous car that everybody wanted in the 80s? Was it Mercedes? No, okay, that's what I like. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, it was the BMW, remember? <laughs> Black man's wish. <laughs> right? So when you think about it, the 190E Benz, who remembers that? Yeah, I remember that. that was late 80s, like 88, 89. Yeah, yeah, late 80s, that's right. Yeah, late 80s, that's right. Oh, no, that was uh, definitely late 80s, but, you know, that's when... When, when did uh, Run DMC come out? And that was like <laughs> early 80s. Uh, you know, Rakim came out with his first album in 85, 86. LL Cool J came out around that time too. I'm in Queens now and I'm soaking it up because Hollis Queens is like 30 minutes away, 25 away from in Springfield Gardens. LL lives in Hollis, which is 20 minutes away. Um, and Wine Dance Long Island was Rakim and then you also had Public Enemy, and then if you went another 35, about 45 minutes away, you'd be in Queensbridge. And so all of these, everybody was, it was a cluster of just really authentic hip hop going on. And, you know, that at that point in time became my outlet. That's how come I became, you know, a rapper at that time. We used to see the park jams, it'd be like you'd hear, um, MC Shan's The Bridge play and it'd be playing through the park and we'd be vibrating the ground and it'd be like a half a mile away and you just run to the park and when you get there, everybody's there losing their mind. Colorful clothes. Everything's colorful, right? And the funny thing is, I didn't have a lot, definitely didn't have a lot of money for clothes, but that was probably the first time that I witnessed what not having money would do to a relationship. Like, I think not being able to pay for the simple necessities and maintain your life in, in, a, in a real capacity destroyed the relationship. And I believe that some of the things that happened in the 70s and in the 80s are still affecting us now. Who believes that? Absolutely. So, when I think about it, it's like, what's the repair? What's the fix? You know, this is why I started this group because for somehow I had this big idea in my brain that if I could take away the one problem that everybody would always focus around, which was chasing money instead of letting money run for you, then you have more time to spend with yourself. Look at the pandemic. We all sat back and actually thought about our lives during this period of time. Some of us created businesses. Some of our businesses thrived more because we had more time to sit down and focus on what was necessary in our life and get rid of what wasn't. And so when, when I think about this, I think that if we can solve certain 
problems when it comes down to the financial piece, then we, it's not like it's going to fix the relationship. Cause if you're a bad person in a relationship, you're a bad person out of the relationship as well. So it doesn't really matter. Right. But I think that it gives you more time to make a definitive choice and you're not making a wrong decision because of finances, because how many, you know, let me ask this question. How many relationships do you think get or, or come together because of money? Does it happen often? Probably. You know, um, I know my choices were bad early on. You know, and when you're in the limelight, people, what do you say? Oh, when, when you're in the limelight, people tend to, um, they're around you for that reason. So you don't really know who your, your, your friends are and you definitely hard to pick a, pick a mate. All right, so let me speed up a little bit. So the combination between the recessions of the 80s and Reaganomics, you know, I think set the stage for single parent homes and the single parent homes that we have today. You know, and I think out of not having came the, the drug, whole drug game, you know, people just figuring, trying to figure out how to get it quick. And the sentencing sending people away really hurt that, our communities in a big way. And that put a financial strain on the relationship. So therefore, not only did we have, you know, a trail of divorces, you know, but we now had a single, uh, a single parent income that was not enough to pay anything. And no one knew anything about the stock market. So, you know, how do we make money back in the days? You know, we used to sell things out of our house, you know, or, or create something that way, but it really wasn't nothing but a, a, a true side hustle. So let me ask a question though. So I, I said it earlier, women were forced to step up and be leaders, but do you think that harmed the family and then somehow emasculated men? No. Get me in trouble. <laughs> no. Who said no? It's me, Go little ahead. sis. Um, no, I, I really don't because that's all I know. Like, I'm not even going to lie to you. I had a bootleg two-parent household. It was mm -hmm. bootleg because bootleg? my mother, because my father was not there. He lived there, but he wasn't there. You get mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So it's different regardless on his job, like hearing not just now but knowing that my father is still in the line of security because my mother helps him get where he is mm -hmm. she's the one who helped him because that bama couldn't read and write we don't have a good relationship or nothing like that but that's neither here nor there but he could not read or write my mother was the breadwinner my father he worked but he didn't work for his family he worked for outside things you get what i'm saying so, so i well, don't well, let me ask you a question without getting too personal because i don't want you know the, oh, I don't care about that aspect, but okay. But how, like, what brought him to that situation? What was he going through at that time? You understand? My father will and has always been a womanizer. And I won't lie to you, after finding out how long my mother had dated my father, my father in my eyes is a damn pedophile. God help you. I might have to delete this part. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean you, you will I mean you probably will no because they, they met at an early age they met at an early age but my mother always had money she always had money she's had a job since she was young and that's what oh. drew my father to her skirt I'm 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 a switch the, the, I guess the point I'm reaching is that you know you know how everyone these days, and I'm saying not everyone, but there's a there's a there's a community of women that celebrate their independence to the point where it actually demonizes a man's independence. And I, I do believe that comes from having to be independent. And then the dominance that men played in the 80s and in the 70s and in, in the role of men, you know, um, causing women to kind of step out that way. So I'm, my question is, do you think it harmed the relationship? Because men like to be men. I want the I want the big piece of chicken. I'm sorry. You can't answer. Can't How about you? Can't you, answer. You, oh man. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, Anissa. Well, I I think that depends on how she treats him, because it doesn't necessarily that you will demasculate the man unless 
you are treating him with that disrespect and not letting him, allowing him to, to take that role. You can be independent all you want. You can go make your own money. You can be the one that makes the most money. But if you treat that man as he as if he is the head of the household, you won't demasculate him. Mm-hmm. Now, if he's an insecure man and can't can't handle the fact that you are making more money than he is, or if you as a woman are throwing it in his face, yes, that will demasculate him. So let me ask someone that's married. How about you, Steph? Can you talk, Steph? You're on the phone, right? You can talk? Okay, go ahead. I can talk. Go ahead. So how do, how do you think, um, do you think that emasculates men, the, the, the overtly independent women? I think that it can. Um, I 100% agree. Well, I do agree with um, what Onissa said. Um, just me personally, I just know that because of how I grew up and the morals that my grandparents instilled into me, I've always worked. I've worked my entire life and I knew where I wanted to go, right? Mm-hmm. So I've always made a good amount of money. And I remember when I met my husband, you know, we were heading towards, you know, getting engaged. We was getting serious. And I said, you know, do you care that I make more than you? And he was like, no. <laughs> like, Listen, I'd like, be like, come oh, on, man. bring it in. Let me find one. <laughs> so because he's looking at the power, you know, bringing those two incomes together and what we can do with it. But he's never had a problem. And I, to this day, I still make more money. And he, he's all good with it. But I think it goes back to me respecting his role not trying to say, well, it's my money and we should do X, Y, and Z with it. Or it's, it's everything for my household. Everything goes in one pot and we make these decisions together. There's no separate accounts. It's just not, that's just not the type of relationship that we have. But I do feel that it can, if, if I was a different person or if I was of a different mindset, I could make him feel less than. Mm-hmm. So, um, but no, I definitely agree with the, what Anessa said. So let me ask you this, because you touched on it, because, you know, I am, I believe in roles. You know, that's just my thing. That's how I was raised. I had to actually help my mother maintain the home when I was a child. So I had to actually figure out how to make money as a kid. And I did and made sure I bought groceries, made sure that I bought toiletries just to make sure that I was doing my thing because I am that hunter provider, protector, that type of mode. So do you believe in roles for husband and wife? Yes, I do. In, in what capacity? I believe that- Don't get yourself in trouble now. <laughs> well, he's right here. Hello, sir. <laughs> he's right here. What's going How on? How you doing, brother? How are you doing? Hi, hi. He's Hello. listening, but- I believe that it is his responsibility to take care of the household. I believe now it, it, the one thing that we will say, yes, I can respect your role. You can take care of the household, but you have to be true to yourself. If there's something that you don't know how to do, mm-hmm. you shouldn't be doing it. My okay. husband doesn't know how to balance a checkbook. He, she, and he hasn't touched it in 18 years. I and he, right. he up with that. And, but we are where we are because he understands what he can and what he can't do. And we discussed that in the home, you know, you know, we were getting, our home is like 12 years old now and we're getting work done in the house. You know, we're working through this together. We're not saying, I'm not saying, well, honey, you need to go figure it out because you're the head of the household. We mm-hmm. work together as a team and we've done that for the past 18 years. And it works. I was going to ask that us. question. Yeah, it works ask, best for us. How long have you guys been together? I've known him since 1997. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've known him since 1997, and we got married in 2008. So you're finished so, his So you're, you're a different type of breed, which is God bless you guys. You know, um, it, it's amazing, but you took your time to get married. You took your time to get to know each other. You understand? We don't... It's, it's a funny thing because money plays a big role in relationships, too big, I think. And people often rush into relationships. Now, I used to write about, um, I should do a blog about relationships for a good five, six, seven years, and I had a huge following doing that. Um, when I got busy, 
running a business, I couldn't do it any longer, right? Um, and I, and I kind of say that to say this, we run so much in two different directions, trying to chase money, get the paper, get the grind up that we forget to pay attention. And like with the pandemic, it actually forced us to sit in the same room and have a conversation. Well, you guys are already having your conversation, but I'm, you understand, know right. But from a standpoint of most people, when I asked the question today, what did, what were the benefits from the pandemic? A lot of people said I had a good time spending time with my, my better half, right? Yeah, and, and that was the one thing that I didn't say because we spend so much time together. I mean, mm. we, and he's, I mean, he's so sweet. I mean, even if I need to go get my hair done, well, he'll drive me to go, he'll drop mm -hmm. me off to go get my hair done versus mm -hmm. me driving myself. Mm -hmm. We go to church together. We go to Bible school together. The kids go to swim class together. Like we, we just, it's just how I was raised. Well, you're, but this was is the thing about what I asked earlier, and I got a good memory, so pardon me, but I remember you eat together every night. You yeah. Know? So mm -hmm. when, you, when you think about that, you got to realize that you guys are equally yoked. You are the quintessential relationship that we model, right? If mm -hmm. you want to be that way, like you're our cosmic, right? <laughs> if we're not married, you know what I'm saying? I'm married. So it took me a long time to get there, right? Yeah. I've only been with my wife. This is going into the seventh year. But when you, when you think about it, let's just frame it in a financial matter. I say, because so, I always tell people, knowing is half the battle. So now that we know, you know what the economics are, shouldn't we be looking at marriage as the coming together of two nations or two economic powers and it be a business that we are in love to do? You understand what I'm saying? We're, we're in love with two people working as a unit instead of I rely on you and you rely on me. No, we rely on each other. And we kind of run that from there. And I think that it's often very unequal because I have distanced myself from a lot. I can't say I distance myself from my single friends. I just don't have as much in common at this stage of the game anymore. So, you know, we're not going to be talking about the club because I don't go to the club. I'm not going to be having a conversation about your adventures because that just doesn't suit me at this point. So, I kind of think where I'm at now is about building a business. It's like my wife taught me how to edit the videos that we're doing on Zoom. She taught me the Adobe software. You know, we, we learn from each other, you understand? And I think building something together is kind of a hardship these days because people are too selfish and getting into what they want to do or what they want from the relationship instead of what they can bring to the relationship. And I think that's, that's hurting us too, because if you don't have those two incomes come together to be a power, think like this. If I made $60,000 and you made $50,000 and to, separately, we really don't make a lot of money, but together, if we're, if we could, right, if we could say, okay, let's live minimally and make our bills three grand, we're still going to bring home six grand a month. That $36,000 a month in 10 years with the right percentage could be somewhere between 800 to a million dollars in 10 years, in 10 years. But see, we don't focus on that. We don't think about that, right? So this is why I teach about rule 72. Rule 72 is, you know, if you take the percentage that you make on your money and you divide it into the 72, the number, it'll tell you how long it takes for your money to double, how many years it takes. Right. So I think about that. So I'm going to go to a uh, jump to something else. So question, as far as the system, education, as far as the system business wise working, do you think the system was designed to keep us chasing the carrot? Who wants to answer that one? Come on, Travis. I see you shaking. Come on, brother. Step on in. Pleasure to meet you. Finally. Unmute yourself. Oh man, uh, yeah, I guess it is good to finally be on. Um, in regards to to chasing the carrot, yeah, I, I I believe it's it's set up like that from you know the the grade school. It, it starts really early on where um, you know our, our kids go, especially if they went to public school. You're going to public school. You're spending over eight hours of your day there. Uh, I can't remember exactly what the, the technical name of that type of learning is, 
but is you're being put in a position to work for someone else. That's what that's essentially the whole way. The, the whole, whole yeah, way. the whole the whole thing. So um it was interesting because my mom's walking around and as y'all are talking about the 80s, she's like, There you go again. Your your circle of friends is they're way older than you. <laughs> I'm still I'm still swimming around in, in the you know, essentially in the sack and everyone's still, you know, everyone else was out clubbing having fun then. Um, but uh yeah, those those are just my thoughts on um the society that we're in now. So it's it's one of those things and and I talk about it a lot, you know, like I can get on these zooms and just talk stocks all day and that's kind of boring. Um, I rather talk about things that bring meaning because the platform is about family first, money second. And I think what they did with society at this point is made money first. So when you put money first, then it becomes distracting to what's really necessary because love is last. So, you know, that's where things get hurt. You know, I um, posted something the other day, I think it was yesterday about the 12 habits that take money out of our pockets. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I'm good. I could say all 12. I don't pay attention to that stuff at all. Like, but I'm, I'm focused on it. So I think you are what you focus on. And it's almost like if you were going to buy a car, you would actually see that car in your mind. You'd see that car in the street. You see the color that you want that you're about to go buy because what you focus on becomes reality. Right. So I'm focused on making money with my money. Right. So I'm focused on my habits that stop me from making money with my money, right? So if you thought about this every day and all day, fine. But the way the society set up is for you to be nothing less or nothing more than a consumer. You have to consume. So like a couple of weeks ago, I had posted this on, a, on a, an article about during a the pandemic, there's not a lot of babies being born. And they're, they're saying how that's going to hurt the economy. So when you think about that, why would that hurt the economy? And then it just, the flashlight went off, baboosh. Well, less people to consume, less people to buy. They need to make sure they have a second wave. And then you feel, kind of feel at this point, like you are nothing more than herd of cattle being raised on corn and, and whatever they're feeding you. So you can just consume everything they get to sell you. So then it becomes, how do we fix that? How do, we, how do we change that mentality? Because that's what the system is built on, for us to keep feeding the system. How does the system benefit us should be the main topic. It's like in my 2.0, all we are doing is trying to enrich ourselves using our intelligence, making intelligent decisions, and buying companies that make sense for us for the long term. We're not chasing any shiny pennies, meaning we're not buying the flavor of the day, thinking that that's going to get us rich because we already are divorcing ourselves from the quick get rich scheme mentality because that never worked out for the drug dealer and it doesn't work out for us. So you have to keep the mentality strong and know exactly where you're going. And I think that's what's really important. But if you ask yourself um, how much money you've wasted, in your lifetime, think about that. How much money has gone because you thought it made sense to buy those sneakers? I used to buy Air Force Ones every week, a white pair every week with a white tee every week, okay? I used to buy Timberlands. If you got a scuff on my Timberlands, I would buy a new pair right away and that was a buck 49.99 right so and i just realized how much money i would spend and waste on nike on adidas on all of these companies without ever owning a piece of it so it's just like in my mind that was the craziest thing so now we understand that we're being manipulated with the reality that we don't know our money and we don't really pay attention to it um, when you think about education, that's why they don't teach financial education in schools is because if they taught it, then you could avoid what they're selling. We don't own any media. We don't own any newspapers. 
We don't own any of the outlets that feed us the source of information. And the only information we pass is disinformation from not researched sources. Think about it. People don't read. So if you're not reading, how could you ever find something credible to actually pass on to the next person? It doesn't make any sense to me. And then if you think about it, we're living in this alternate reality. The reality that we live in and the one that they create. So if you look at that, then you say, okay, all right. What I noticed when I was a stockbroker, 99% of my clients' wives did not work. 99. 99. So the question to you women, if you had the choice, you're working now, right? But if you had the choice to stay home and raise your kids and not work, would you? Who wants to step up on that? Go ahead, Tanya. Sorry. Sorry about that. That's right. I actually was married for 12 years, been divorced um, a long time. <laughs> My sons are 22 and 18, and now I'm engaged. Um, so, yeah, I was, uh, I've been all the roles. I've been married, divorced, <laughs> single, stay home mom, all that. I did homeschool my oldest son mm -hmm. uh, up until I got divorced. So I always think homeschooling is better in my opinion. That's just my mm -hmm. opinion. Mm -hmm. um, and I work in uh, inner city school. I'm from, you know, I'm from Detroit. I work in inner city school. So I definitely think homeschooling is better. But yeah, um, raising your kids or having a, if possible, a family member a mother or somebody uh, that, so you wouldn't have to put your kids in daycare is always a better choice to me for children. That's my opinion, but I know a lot of people have to work and do what they have to do. But if it so, was- But let me ask you this, when it comes down to being a stay-at-home wife, mm -hmm. do you think that's better for the relationship? Oh yeah, I think it's, I think it's fine. Um, that was something we agreed on before we got married, so. Mm -hmm. It was something that was already discussed. Um, and even like, even though, like I said, I'm engaged now, we're, we've been together a lot, <laughs> uh, like uh, pretty much every day since COVID. Um, it's, it's actually why well, I'm in a good relationship now. It's really good. But yeah, I think, I think that if you're at home, because you set a plan. I had a schedule at home. I wasn't just watching soap operas. Right. Um, I did a lot of stuff. And then, like I said, I like, I'm athletic. I like sports. So I always had my kids outside or whatever with me um but yeah i think it's good for the marriage um i mean his food was ready uh we we had pretty good communication back then mm -hmm. so yeah, because I, it's good it's when good. i think when i think about it the men i dealt with were all running businesses um obviously they had the income to send in any type of money that we wanted them to, to have in the accounts you know you had some million dollar accounts and i wasn't their only broker so um you know, and they took care of the household, the kids got the schooling, the schools that they wanted to go to. And I think because if you have the right income, then you can control the outcome. If you don't have the right income, you can't control the, control the outcome, then everything is force fed to you. And this is what that this whole exercise is about. So like one of the things I, I teach people is like, especially when it comes to Wall Street, think about it, if I was playing your team, and I had your playbook, who would win the game? Who would win that game? Go ahead, Rosina. I see you hitting your phone. I know, right? I'm always late to hit it. You will win. I mean, if you know the plays that the other team is going to play, you know how to counter, so you're going to win the game. Absolutely. So then the question remains in the game of life, you already know the plays that they're running on you, so why aren't you winning the game? You know how the school system works. You know how the work and work-life imbalance works. You know if you're not making enough money, what you have to do to make money. If not, then you can read to succeed because as I, well, I was saying is back in the um, mid-90s that the real estate, new, the new real estate market is the internet. So if you're going to, you can make a ton of money on the internet if you just pay attention to what you need to do because there's so many roads, there's so many people to follow. <coughs> Excuse me. There's so many people to follow in that area. But it's like, I say to you, if they know your habits, they know how you spend money, 
They know what makes you happy, what destroys your relationships, what controls you from afar, what's your greatest defense, right? Against their messaging. Because you can't control it. <clears throat> so it becomes a situation where the best way to do this, in my opinion, is to first start with a foundation of least education. You have to have that education. And when I say education, I'm not really talking about the education they teach. Because if I, like what's important to me is that my son sees talent, and I say he's two years old, he sees balanced images on TV. And the images are not that balanced. You're seeing things that I don't want to be seen in a cartoon. I, I heard a cartoon character named Niglet. Niglet. <laughs> I freaked out, hit the button because it's too close. And I do believe that our imagery, no matter what you are, should be focused and balanced. If I don't want to see a certain type of content or sexual content on TV, it shouldn't be forced into my household. All right. It shouldn't be. And it's being forced into my household on a daily basis. It's like back in the days, you didn't have to have this type of content. Now it's everything in TV and you don't know what to watch. I feel like I just stay watching old school stuff now. All right. Just because I know what I'm going to get. I'm not going to go, oopsie. Let me hit the button, right? And so this is all part of the messaging. And the messaging weakens the system. And you have to understand there's certain people who are impregnable to the messaging and there's certain people who aren't. So my, my, my greatest thing is to build a foundation on education, financial education, because let's take the money problem away. Well, when you have money, where can you live? anywhere you want. You don't have to have neighbors. <laughs> you can play whatever music you want to play. If you have money, you have time. You can educate your children the way you want to educate your children. All you got to do is follow the rules of society and fill out these forms and do these things and make sure they go through these grade levels. And voila, you control that image. Who wants to raise their kid in a daycare center and in high school and be a latchkey kid like I was? Nobody does. Because then your kids are finding out the things that we don't want them to find out from the people that we don't know or want to know. So it becomes control. So without that money, you don't have control, right? So it's important for me to say, listen, if you had a thousand shares, a thousand dollars of this company, yes, it'd be worth a million dollars, $2 million. Cause I need you to know, stop thinking that you have to be rich in order to invest in the stock market. It's wrong. That's wrong. Because these companies, if you buy the right ones in 10, 20 years, will double on you, triple 10X, take $100 and turn into, you know, like 50, 60, 70, 80, $90,000. So imagine what a thousand can do for you. All you got to do is get educated. Because the question is, how do we stop falling for the trap? We know the playbook now. It's like on Wall Street, here's the deal. So I own a stock and the trader is going to get me emotional. How do they get me emotional? Who can answer that? How would a trader get me emotional? You've been playing this game. How does a trader get me emotional? Chasing old shiny pennies. Well, sh well, chasing shiny pennies is not the answer I'm looking for. Who can give me another one? How does a trader get me emotional? Go ahead, Travis. Lord, the value of the stock. There you go, Sharon. Sharon hit it right on the nose. They're going to take it down, right? So when you see it go down, the first thing you're thinking is what? Give it to me. Somebody. Come on. I'm losing I'm losing. Money. I'm losing money, right? So you see yourself losing money, what you going to do? What's your first thing? Sell it. Sell it. And guess who wins? They do. The trader. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 100%. Because now you're giving away your stock to someone who sees value and took advantage of your emotion, just like the system. They take advantage of what you don't know, right? Because in order for someone to pay 
60 bucks when it was 70 bucks, they have to feel that is more valuable at 60 to them than you feel is devalued at 70 to 60. Does that make sense? So people go through this whole panic process, right? And it doesn't make sense. So one of the things I always teach is that the bargains are in the basement. They're not on the roof. So I'm gonna go shopping when stocks are down. And I don't care when stocks are down. I'm happy when they're down. It don't look good, but it's a temporary thing. But you know what doesn't look good? The grind doesn't look good. You go away for four years on a grind and you pop up, boom, now it's magic. Everybody wants to be your friend. So you gotta look at it from a standpoint of, you gotta learn that that's when the best opportunities are there. That's the deal. You don't want to fall into these traps where you're making wrong decisions and wrong relationship decisions because, well, I can't afford to live by myself, so I got to stay in a relationship that's bad because I can't afford to move, right? Well, I can't afford to buy a car because my credit's bad, so I got to get be nice, nice, nice so this person finances a car for me. All of these things that we don't have to make, these are unprofitable decisions. So... You know, it's, it's like when you think about it, how many unprofitable decisions that you had to make because you were in a situation where you didn't have the money, right? And then if I tell you that if you just put $500 away, which is $6,000 a year, you know, away and you knew what to do with that money, you would not have any money problems in 10 years. None, zero, like ding, none. So you got to think about that and you got to ask yourself, how much money do you need to live on? And then you got to see where you are in terms of age. And then you say, how many years do I have to get there? Because when you look at this, that's the problem. No one's really paying attention to the end game because they're getting too confused by the messaging that's happening now. So I, I'll say it to you, and this is important to me at least, is that if you're going to retire and you want to have a certain amount of money to enjoy your life and you're not going to be raised in a system where you're actually being birthed to die, like you're being birthed to be worked and to die, period. I've said it before and that's the deal. If you want to get out of that mindset, then it's just important that you pay attention to what your dollars can do today because that dollar's worth more to you today than it is tomorrow. See, you'll be able to take care of your family. Now think about it. If you, can, if you can kind of picture this with me, what is a life with the person that you are in love, not love, in love with, look like when you're having children and you can afford to do what you want to do? I mean, like, one of the visions that I have for my family in a couple of years is to go away where I can fish for my own food, right, and be in a place where I have, you know, I'm on top of some mountain somewhere where I can see the ocean and I'm on some, in some place, I don't know where I'm at, you know, like Greece or somewhere like that. And I can stay for as long as I want. Finding yeah. I have an internet connection. <laughs> but, right. But I can stay for as long as I want and do what I want to do and enjoy and, and, and expose. Because like I've said it on past videos, when was, a, when was the first time you got on an airplane, Travis? What, year, what age were you? Hit it. 23. 23 for you, Jenny? Uh, Jeannie? Yeah. Uh, got on an airplane. Let's see. I know it was in middle school, so I probably was no older than maybe like 13. What about you, Jeff? Jeff, he can't hear me. What about what about you, Mike? I think I was like six. Oh, wow. I was, what was I, 22? I thought I was landing on the moon. I went crazy. <laughs> I was, <laughs> I didn't know what was happening. They had to calm me down on the plane. I was like, what's happening? This is crazy. And I never forgot the first time I took, uh, this is what happened. I went from, I was, I had to perform in Boston and I was on, who remembers the group in Vogue? Okay. So I was on a plane on those crop duster planes with in Vogue sitting in the front and I was in the back and I didn't know in Vogue was on the plane. But I was losing my mind because you know those intercity planes, they're the bumpy ride and it's like you're going to crash any second. So it was just nuts. And I, and I just, uh, it was just amazing. But just imagine the experiences that you can kind of control now. 
Just that's it. Because you're being controlled because you don't have. How many jobs have you taken because you needed to get a check for the moment? Now you do what you want to do. See, I tell people this, and I'm a rap. You make a different type of decision when you have money than when you don't. I don't do anything for money. You can never entice me to do anything for money. Why? Because I control my coin. I know how to make it jump. My, my dollars are nothing more than soldiers. So you can't convince me that your dollars are more profitable than mine. I know what to do with them. So you're not going to get me to do anything for your dollar. So you can't sell me any dreams. I'm not buying. Get it? And that's the key. So if you don't have to do anything for money, what? how powerful are you? You do what you want. They say, well, you, you shouldn't do that with your kid. Huh? Yes. You want a nanny? Get a nanny. <laughs> you want more time? Go spend time with your family. You want to bring your whole family to an island somewhere and have a little once a year vacation with the whole crew? You do that with the whole crew. Life is about experiences. Experience it. Stop working for a living. Get the money to work for a living. You know, so I'm gonna wrap it, but I wanna I wanna um, ask a question and and uh, and let people kind of get in on this question, and that'll be it for me. So my question is: Does anyone have anything to offer before I get off this off of this jack today? I'll say something. Hey, what's up, Shalom? What's up, brother? I just want to say thank you for everything, first and foremost, all the hard work you putting in. And to really grind and get out, man. I, I see, man. That's that's not an easy, uh, not an easy pill to swallow, but for sure, man. I really appreciate you. God bless you, man. Uh, really, uh, had much success with uh, with with Kevin. I tell you, his uh, leadership, his guidance, his uh, his coach, his coaching, is uh, definitely something that everyone should not take lightly. Uh, for what I have to offer is just a piece of advice. You know, you got to uh, you got to take his coaching at the speed of light. You know, once once it's up there, you got to know what to do with it. You know, before you actually make moves, definitely do your research and do your homework on what you're buying. Because at the very end of the day, you have to believe so heartily that this is this is it for you. At the very end of the day, not get emotional when those days come. And boy, do they come. <laughs> I tell you, one day I saw my account. I just put in 36. I lost like 32. And I'm like, where did it all go? The next day I wake up, it's up 14 grand. You know what I'm saying? But you can't get emotional that way. You got to understand we're in it for the long haul. We're not day trading. And when mm -hmm. I was in his stock trading contest, you know, one thing that I learned is that when you're doing like a one month contest, you want to beat this, the, 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 the next opponent or you're, you're competing against someone else, you're day trading at that point. This is a totally different ball game. You're, you're investing for your future, your kids, your generations to come. You know, this is this is something that you got to think about. You know, if you were re to retire on on the income that you're making right now, you know, put in what forty years, you retire on a five six thousand dollar income. Is that really enough based on the inflation that's coming through? You want to think millions, and this is the vehicle that he's putting us in. At the very end of the day, Kevin, thank you very much. That's what I have to offer. Basically, is just a clear. I appreciate you, brother. I appreciate you, man. Listen, I appreciate you. You know, me, uh, you know, the, the bottom line on that is um, I understand and he understands what my main goal and mission is. You know, because when you control the coin, it's really no, like, I don't need anything from the 16 people that's here. I don't. So I know I have something to offer and see you guys, Shalom knows me, you know, over the years. You know, and there's some people who know me when I was a kid. So they've seen the things that I've been able to bring to just my surroundings. You got to make an impact. We've been sucking the system dry. We've been sucking our friends dry, our families dry. We've been stealing their, their oxygen and not really giving to the people that's around us. And that is not a community. The community that we're talking about is one that we give in where everybody doesn't have that shield up because someone did a selfless act for someone that did, they didn't even know. And that made you get, a, get, get attached to your humanity again. Like, oh wow, I can actually believe in somebody. 
Well, shoot, if you can do that, you can believe in yourself. And you don't have to worry about not, you know, being taken advantage of because now you can see what that example is. And then you see that, wow, there's not just one person like that. There's a thousand people like that. It's just that you were caught up in the wrong circles. Right? So now it's about how do we flip this and make it a really great event. So I appreciate you all for being in the contest, for you coming on with me on Wednesday night, um, for getting to my 2.0, for you guys are already there. You know, this is something that I do from my heart and you can see it, I don't fake the funk. I bring a lot of work and, and hard work to what I do so I can bring things for you guys to kind of think about. So if I keep getting and massaging this information, then you'll start to get familiar with it and it'll be your information and then it becomes habit, right? It's habit for me, but I wanna make it impactful because we remember things that are emotional to us or that's passion to us. We don't remember numbers, companies that we have no attachment to. And that's why I don't really talk about stocks as much on this. We're gonna do that in our other life all the time. This is just something that we get a chance to have a conversation with. So I appreciate you guys. I'm going to bring it to an end. I'll see you in the game tomorrow. And for you guys, 2.0, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. All right, guys. You have a good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night now. Thank you.